Hey everybody, so this is part two of Aaron and Patricia for the 22nd of January 2023. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And in case you're a bit confused, we did part one, which was our spoiler section for the Owl House for the Future. And uh, actually, one thing I've actually noticed that uh, what we were going to talk about in this uh, episode of the show is that we haven't talked about the Owl House uh, being nominated for various awards uh in part yeah, one so it's true yeah so if you haven't uh if, if you were actually excited for us to talk about the nominations for the owl house then maybe you'll be happy to uh, miss part one and not get spoiled on that but uh, if you do want to listen to part one of the show please watch the owl house for the future first then watch part one because then you won't be spoiled on anything because you have already watched it and then you'll have our thoughts yeah. as well so anyway we are going to move on with the rest of the show and we promise you we're not going to spoil on any owl house stuff by talking about this but uh, the owl house while uh, we were all waiting for um, it to appear up on Disney Channel or appear up on YouTube, depending on where your location is, um, the Owl House actually was uh, mentioned in various award nominations, including GLAAD, and also, I believe, uh, it has also been nominated for Annie Awards, too. So, uh, yes. yeah, it's uh, right now, it's um, we're in award season, pretty much, uh, leading up to when we've already had the Golden Globes, we're leading up to the Oscars. Uh, at this point, and so uh, all the other award ceremonies are currently also pitching in as well. But uh, yeah, so um, we currently have uh, the Owl House currently nominated for various awards. Uh, Patricia, do you actually have the list? Oh, I do actually. Uh, yeah. So if you want to go, so uh, it... let's talk about the let's talk about the Annie Awards, shall we? So according to what it says, in the Annie Awards, it's been nominated for Best a- Animated Television Slash Media Production for Children's Audience, which um, is pretty you know, deserving considering of the Owl House being such a major commodity for a lot of people. Every time that it premieres a new episode, it gets trending on social media. So the fact that people are paying attention to it, I'm really happy that people are saying, hey, you know, let's see if we can be able to spread enough awareness for it. And so much to the point in which the Annie's, which actually happens to be one of the biggest award shows for TV shows and animation, is acknowledging it, which is great. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, the biggest award that the Owl House has won in its run was back in 2021 when it won the Peabody Awards. So yes. uh, that's the biggest one it's won. Besides that, I mean, to be fair, it has won the BMI Film and Television Awards in 2022. Mm-hmm. So it has got, and also, also in uh, the Autostraddle TV Awards, it also won uh, Outstanding Animated Series and also Outstanding LGBTQ Plus Director, Writer and Showrunner as well so um it has got a few awards under its belt but uh, as for uh, 2023 which will probably be its last year i think for uh tv awards so right now it's currently yes. got the annies and right now it's got the glad awards coming up so yes. uh, th- those are the big it does have the up. glad awards and when it comes to what their nomination is it says right here outstanding kids and family programming so yeah i mean and, and they have a lot of awards uh, in terms of their nominations but yeah as for what we have right here for these particular ones i think that uh, we're just gonna have to wait and see but uh, the competition's pretty steep, as you know. Yeah, and also I think, you know, it's pretty sad, actually, that, you know, this will be pretty much the last hurrah, I guess, for the Owl House. And also, I mean, like, in regards to the Annie Awards, I mean, it doesn't have, like, a great track record because it has been nominated, like, various times over the years and he just hasn't, like, cut it. Uh, at this point, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now that's, the, the, I think the difference between those nominations and the nominations now is that we've now had season two, and uh, we're now into season three, which, uh, by the way, is getting rave reviews 
uh, across across the board uh, at the moment. Oh, so sure. yeah, exactly. So maybe it's in with a shot. I think uh, with the uh, with, with the judges, who knows? But uh, I mean, here's the thing: like you know, the the Owl House has put in a hell of a lot of work in such strenuous circumstances, and uh, also with a lot of backstage politics all involved as well. You know, um, the Owl House could easily have sucked in this at this point. It really could. Mm. Like, you know, everything that's going on behind it. It it could easily, you know, Dana could easily have been distracted and everyone could have easily been distracted. They just threw something together at the very last minute and then just kind of like just stuck it out there and then they moved on to their their, their other lives. But no, like a lot of passion and a lot of uh, heart has been placed in the Owl House pretty much. And so um, they have really, you know, tried to get this going with, you know, with the characters were so well written. And, you know, like every character has a purpose in the show. Pretty much, and uh, you know the uh, the music is brilliant. The uh, the designs of the characters, the designs of the sets, and the designs of the scenes are also spectacular as well for a Disney cartoon show. Pretty much, mm-hmm. like you know, and don't get me wrong, like you know, that's been really good, well designed, you know, Disney cartoon shows in the past. I'm not saying that's you know the Owl House is the uh, the outstanding one, but uh, you know uh, the Owl House really does take it one step further in regards to that. And dare I say, it will actually be maybe even push other animators to basically compete with the Owl House uh, for the attention of the fans. Pretty much, because, uh, you know, like, this is the thing, and uh, maybe this is where we're getting a bit off-topic a little bit, maybe, for uh, the Owl House, but I sometimes kind of worry about where Disney television kind of goes from here at this point, because we know they're going to get another season of Louder and Prouder. We know they're going to be having uh, Moon Girl and Devil, Di- Devil Dinosaur. That's Marvel's first kind of, like, you know, uh, you know intro into Disney television pretty much, your animated TV. And uh, then, you know, so it's Ghost of Molly McGee still going, but obviously that's episodic, and it's sort of kind of fizzled out a little bit, really, uh, Ghost of Molly McGee, in regards to the age of the fans, at least within the fans that I can see at the moment. Like, sure. uh, so it makes me wonder, like, uh, what is going to be the next big cartoon show that is going to grab everybody and keep their attention towards, and keep their Disney Plus subscriptions? Pretty much. So, like, that's a good uh, question. I mean, we already know that uh, the Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, has uh, their season two announcement. We just saw like trailers of it. There was also the announcement of more Hamster and Gretel, forty new episodes of Phineas and Ferb, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, more Molly McGee, more Big City Green. So that's currently what's going on for Disney right now. Yeah. So don't get me. You know, for Bob and my, I'm really glad for him that like, he's going to get to do some more Phineas and Ferb stuff. But like, I'm really interested to see like how many more I ideas he has for the show given the fact that you know it did, it did leave off in a pretty good note pretty much you know yeah. like, so uh, i'm not entirely sure why we're going back again to a show which i think already holds up on its own you know, with the money. I guess, but <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure the Phineas and Ferb fans are really excited for all what we're going to see. But uh, at the moment, I just think, huh, um, where you know, where could Bovemeyer go from here? I think you know he's going to be yeah, the next. Yeah, thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean. As for what are we going to see coming up with uh, Dan Pavenmeyer's ideas for Phineas and Ferb, it's um, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, we literally just got the announcement last week, so there's literally no new information about where the direction is going to be. Yeah, so, but in regards to the Owl House, I mean, um, again, very happy for any award it gets nominated for as far as I'm concerned, you know, so like, uh, as long as it's not a Razzie, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, a, a Razzie is bad, but... Uh, you know, of like, course. of course it is, but uh, no, I think uh, I'm really looking forward to see if how the house performs because, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, you know, um, obviously it's not getting the ending that it would like, but uh, I think it's going to turn a lot of heads. I think uh, when we finally get to the end of the Owl House, I think so. Uh, That's true. That's there, true. There's a might grab some new fans along the way, and uh, tell you what, there's a well, I'm, I'm hoping so. Yeah, there's one interesting debate actually. I would like to have with you if uh, I'm not too sure if it's going to be one that everyone's going to really like though. But here, I'll, I'll just say ask the question. 
Um, yeah, go ahead. The next time we revisit the Owl House, um, what if they Disney decided to do um, a live action movie? Of, the Owl House of the Owl House. You know, see, seeing how all the other live action movies have turned out, and what we kind of are fearing for the Little Mermaid this year. I mean, well, well um, it, for the live action movies, yeah, as but, for like the live action series, the only thing uh, that we've seen. Sorry, in no, 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 no. Was, that's, that's um, what I meant. I mean, so let's say they did a live action movie of the Owl okay. House, depending on yeah, everything. Yeah, I'm just that saying, like seen. the last time that we had something like this was with Kim Possible. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, but I mean, I'm talking about like you know they put like some proper money behind it, like they say, like you know Disney's going to go like all out, like you know, okay, you want to three hundred million dollars? Here you go, make it. You know, like, and they went that direction with the Owl House. But again, like, they condensed the entire story into, like, you know, an hour and a bit, basically. Like, uh... Uh, well, okay, so would this be, like, a retelling of the Owl House if they did it that way? Yeah, it's a live... Yeah, it's... Think about all the other live-action reboots that have come out recently. Okay. Yeah, and, like, it would be on par with that. Would you say you'd get excited for that, or would you really worry about it? That depends, you know, because we've seen live action versions based off of animated shows. And for the most part, they've been mostly miss. So yeah. if somebody were to tell me, hey, we're going to have a live action movie based off of the Owl House, then, yeah, I unless, of course, if, you know, Dana Terrace was, you know, heavily a part of this and, you know, she were to get the right people to perform as the characters that we've all known and love, I would be more than skeptical, to say the least. I'm not sure she would want to get involved. Seeing how all the other then, movies then I'll be like, nope, I'm not interested. No, no, I don't think so either. But uh, I'm just thinking, like, you know, if uh, let's say Disney kind of like, you know, knee jerked and said, "Oh, good grief, the Owl House was popular." Like, you know, so uh, you know, where Dana actually said that himself. Like, you know, when they saw the figures on the screen when Thanks to Them came out and it was like trending like high on YouTube, like uh, all the executives were kind of like, "Oh, hey, this thing was good. I can't believe we got rid of this." You know? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how Nickelodeon reacted to when Avatar The Last Airbender came out on Netflix, and they were like, oh, well, crap, I guess we shouldn't have treated The Legend of Korra the way it was, so, yeah, yeah, it's like, too little, too late, I'm afraid. Exactly, so, oh, mind you, my thing is that, would they knee-jerk and say, oh, good grief, let's just create an Owl House thing, and so that keeps the fans on board, pretty much, or would they just, like, uh, you know, I don't know, it'd just be an interesting discussion in itself. I think. Mm. So. It is a really interesting discussion. Yeah. Anyway, um, fingers crossed for all the Alhas crew, and uh, let's hope they win some awards. So. Yeah, let's see where they go with this, and uh, hopefully that they will be able to end things off on a high note, at least winning one of those awards, whether it be from the GLAAD Awards, whether it be from the Annies. We'll just wait and see. Okay. Nickelodeon has done a very bizarre move, which is that uh, they have decided to rebrand the Henry Danger YouTube channel and are now rebranding it to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. That is weird. I would have never expected them to do this because you would think that Henry Danger, which was basically the last show that Dan Schneider created for Nickelodeon right before that infamous incident happened, that they would be like, okay, we're one and done with Henry Danger. That, but no, it continued on. It even had an animated spinoff series. And now they're like finally cleaning themselves up and saying, okay, we're just going to do TMNT instead. And apparently, as far as we know, it has like over 2 million subscribers on the YouTube channel. And people on social media have been like, well, 
about time because you know <laughs> there's only been like what only a few people who like Henry Danger and we have like generations of people who prefer well, you Ninja know, like, Turtles. You know, two million f- subscribers isn't you know isn't bad to have you know for a YouTube mm. channel and I can see why they're doing it because obviously you know the subscribers are still there so what they're pretty much doing is they're just rebranding the channel to uh, all the people that are there. I'm interested to see how many of those subscribers actually stay. Because, like, you know, yeah, don't get me wrong, like, you know, there are people who do talk about Henry Danger, you know, quite positively. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. I mean, and I probably imagine they're probably still subscribed to the YouTube channel, so interesting to see if they decide, okay, well, Henry Danger is no longer there now, so I'm going to subscribe and go somewhere else. Or, okay, there's TMNT there now, which is, I think, is pretty cool, so I'll stay. I wonder how many of those people... How many people, of, you know, of the latter exist, and how many people at the forefront exist? I think it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that there hasn't been any reactions from people saying, hey, they changed it over to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm going to be really upset about this. I'm going to talk about it. But no, from what I've been seeing on social media, people are actually excited that there's going to be a YouTube channel dedicated to TMNT. Well, interesting to see what happens if they decide to, you know, rebrand that from TMNT to something else. Like, um, if yeah, they, you know, that's true. in the future, it makes me wonder, like, is that what Nickelodeon going to do? Like, you know, all the channels that they own, are they just going to, like, you know, swap and change every time, you know, the next popular thing comes around? Oh, like, that's a good question. It's like, yeah. you know, we had when the 90s or all that came about, it went from, uh, you know, the 90s or all that, then the splat, then Nick Splat, then Nick Rewind, and they were showcasing, like, all of their classic Nickelodeon shows from the 90s, and now they're focusing on the 2000s because apparently, you know, that seems to be more generated towards those people because, well, I mean, as I mentioned in the aftermath of Hair of the Jungle movie, that the kids who were born around the late 90s and 2000s, well, they're in their early, you know, adult years now they're like in their 20s so you you and i you and i grew up with these shows i mean like okay some of the some of the episodes are somewhat dated but i mean as the show concepts in regards to like you know things like doug like hey arnold like the rugrats you know uh, like things like that i mean like you know the the messages still hold up to this day pretty Mm -hmm. much so like uh, i mean you know what they should do you know there's a, a station here in the uk called absolute radio and uh, right now, they have various radio stations that you can listen to. So there's uh, Absolute 60s, Absolute 70s, Absolute 80s, Absolute 90s, Absolute noughties, and Absolute 10s. And, mm-hmm. and then sooner or later, it's going to be Absolute 20s when mostly we come out of the, uh, you know, the 2020s. But uh, so um, I don't understand why Nickelodeon doesn't just do that. Like they just say, okay, we're gonna have you know um, multiple channels. Maybe they could be online or they could be on streaming or whatever. You know, like you know, if you want to, uh, I can imagine they have probably the reason why they probably don't do it is because they have Paramount Plus. Probably exactly. That's, that's what yeah. I was gonna say. Is that that's the reason why the '90s are all that, and then later on, Nick Rewind. They all became really popular at the time because the only way you can be able to watch these programs officially is through television when you wait around 11 p.m. and then you watch it until 4 a.m. But now that we have Paramount Plus and now that some of the Nickelodeon shows are on Netflix, it's like, you know, why? Because a lot of people are switching away from cable to streaming services. Yeah. So maybe there's no should, need for that Maybe anymore. they should divvy up from the genres. And like, so like, you know, they say like, okay, here's all the stuff from the 90s. Here's all the stuff from the 80s. Here's all the stuff from like the noughties. Like, you know, here's, here's, every, here's like, you know, everything there on Paramount Plus. So if you want to like get, watch certain shows from a certain era, you can just watch it like on this like playlist or whatever. You know? Yeah, uh, as far as I know, uh, it's been a while since I've been to Paramount Plus, but they divided the Nickelodeon shows into like you know classic Nickelodeon, you know classic Nicktoons, and then classic live action shows. So yeah, but everyone's um, everyone's definition of classic now is different. 
pretty much exactly like, exactly yeah. yeah so like you know they should really divvy up by the by the eras you know like uh, i think i think that probably might be the best thing to do i think for you know uh, paramount if like you know if they if they have like eras of shows and you know people grew up in certain eras and like you know they only want to watch like that particular era of tv program like you know just do it like that like you know it's uh, the radio station seems to be doing it so why not the, why not the tv providers pretty much That's true. Yeah. yeah i think they should do it i think it's a really good idea so um Anyway, another my contributions to focus groups. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Your contribution is very important. <laughs> anyway, so I'm just looking through all the responses from the people on Twitter when the announcement of that the Hindering Danger YouTube channel was rebranded into the TMNT YouTube channel. So um, Nick Schedules uh, says, I guess it's karma for turning T-Nick into a Wasteland 6 October since... No offense to the HD fans out there, but other shows exist. And then pretty much everybody was just saying their own versions of yes and thank you. And finally, Nickelodeon is doing something useful by getting rid of something that's useless. So, mm. yeah, people are actually more excited about this than crying over the fact that Henry Danger is gone. Yeah. So. But to be honest with you, like the thing is, is that TMNT transcends generations pretty much like everyone has their own version of TMNT Actually, that'd be something kind of cool like you know go you know um, the people who created Ghostbusters the real Ghostbusters you know like yeah. they po they posted up all their stuff like on uh, on the YouTube as well like you know they were doing like we were doing like premieres and like you know doing like all the uh, you know going through the seasons and stuff like that maybe they should do that with uh, TMNT like you know they should like you know release you know uh, you know seasons of episodes and like you know from the 80s up to, up to uh, like now and like you know do like premieres on like on YouTube I guarantee they'll get tons of hits you know, and uh, I think they should probably oh, do yeah, that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that you just said earlier that, you know, TMNT transcends generations, well, Henry Danger was just, like, another drop in the bucket that of Dan Schneider shows. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, looking at it now, I think that's probably, you know, dedicating it to TMNT is probably going to be a way better thing to do than, you know, dedicating it to a show that, uh, you know, it's probably only, like, seen one generation of people, and that's two million, you know, I think that's probably a better use of two million subscribers, in my opinion. Yeah, so. and the fact that Henry Danger was not a show that was supposed to, like, last longer than it has been. Like, maybe, like, two, three seasons if it's really successful. I think that shows such as Drake and Josh and iCarly lasted for, like, four or five seasons. But, you know, Henry Danger, it lasted even long after the whole uh, controversies with Dan Schneider. And, you know, the fact that, 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 you know, even after he was no longer part of Nickelodeon, they started doing, like, an animated spinoff series off of Henry Danger, even without his consent. Mm. So they were still trying to milk it, uh, you know, for all that it's worth. Well, it wouldn't be the first time they did that. Like, you know, you know look at Stephen Hillenburg. Like, you know, he left SpongeBob, and they still kept doing SpongeBob. So Yeah, that's uh, true. I mean... You know, let's be honest, when it comes to Dan Schneider, he did do the more successful live-action shows. I mean, no other shows that came out that wasn't done by Dan Schneider came remotely close to their success. Yeah, but I mean, I, sure, they, we've had shows like Ned's Declassified, but if you were to talk about like shows from the 2000s that people grew up with, I mean, more or less, it's going to be based off of a Dan Schneider show. Yeah, Drake well, and Josh, Zoe I, I think his, I think I his name. I think his name is just going to be like, you know, same with John Kay. Like, you know, his name's just going to be like, you know, it's going to be a Nickelodeon show. It's not going to be like, you know, um, known for any particular, you know, person anymore. That's one thing that Nickelodeon might do. Like, you know, scare away from all these controversies that the keep seems to be having like you know maybe they might just say look this is Nickelodeon's it or this is Nickelodeon's show and this is Nickelodeon movie you know like and not indicate that someone is like behind you know the operation pretty much and then when like when there's a controversy it's kind of like okay then that's that's it 
you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, maybe 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 people stop getting top billing now because of this. Like you know, okay, uh, okay. We'll, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, at this point in time, you might be right, but again, too early to tell. Yeah. And I guess it makes a lot of sense that TMNT would get its own YouTube channel because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, the animated film uh, co-produced by Seth Rogen, is going to be coming out. So there's new TMNT content that is coming out there. Well, as for Henry Danger, no, not not really. Even yeah, though that I, there's rumors going around that there might be a movie, but still, it's it's not enough. The, the, the TMNT machine is going to be in full operation going up to Seth Rogen's movie. No doubt about that. Because, like, you know, there's a lot of excitement around it, you know, uh, and this isn't just, like, you know, one, you know, this isn't just a bunch of kids saying, oh, hey, there's going to be this TMNT movie. It's going to, like, you know, it's like, you know, adults and everybody else saying, oh, hey, there's going to be this TMNT movie, and it looks really awesome, and it's not done by Michael Bay. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, Jesus, yeah. thank you so much that there's no more Michael Bay movies. Yeah, it's like, anyway, um, let's get away from negative news, and let's move into something more positive, and uh, that is that Nickelodeon has agreed voluntarily recognize the Animation Guild as uh, the re- representatives of the production workers at the studio. So, uh, uh, about time, too. I'm really happy that they were able to do that, considering the well, you saw that during the pandemic that a lot of people were working really hard and they weren't getting a lot of benefits. So the fact that they are now a part of it is great. So this is the article from what it says from Variety. Nickelodeon has agreed to voluntarily recognize 177 production workers as members of the Animation Guild, avoiding the need um, for an NLRB election. The Animation Guild already represents about 400 artistic workers in Nickelodeon, including storyboard artists, character designers, and writers. The new members include production managers, production coordinators, and post-production assistants. Those jobs include many entry levels, and they tend to make less than the other guild members. The guild announced in December that the workers have signed cards seeking to unionize as they sought to address high health care costs and low pay. So I'm really happy to hear this, considering that we know that animation pays pretty poorly compared to working on a live action show. We saw this complaint from Owen Dennis and Dana Terrace and Matt Brawley and, and um, Alex Hirsch and so many other people talking about how they don't get paid. And especially for those who are non-unionized, they get paid even less and they have so much less benefits. So the fact that they now have the opportunity for you know, more benefits and a little bit more pay, they can be able to not break their back so they can be able to pay rent and eat. Yeah. The thing is about this is that, I mean, it's great that this is happening, but I guarantee you there's a caveat to all of this. And you know what that is? What's that? Um, I would call it, uh, if there is any contract, I guarantee you, like, uh, there's probably an unwritten bit in that union contract, which is the uh, pineapple under the sea clause. Okay. So, like, uh, you know, if it's not, if you're, you can, okay, you can do your show, but uh, if it's not better than SpongeBob SquarePants, then sorry, you're going to be gone in two seasons. You know. I mean, that has been happening for over a decade at this exactly. point. I mean, I would say, argue like maybe a decade and a half. Yeah, but, but because... if you really think about it, you're only going to be employed there for probably like maybe like you know two to three years, probably. If that's the well, case. I wouldn't, or, or maybe you would just be creating these original shows, and then if those original shows don't work out, then you have to go work on a SpongeBob show. Well, I mean, but then it's obviously if, if you're in the SpongeBob crew, then that's fine. But uh, as we all know, like uh, you know, once you're part of a crew of like a particular show, then once that show is over, then obviously you got to like you know go and find something else to do. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that may always be a great, you know, maybe a good thing. Maybe maybe it might be a good thing. Maybe it might be something positive, or maybe it might be a bad thing. And then you just fall out of the Nickelodeon crowd altogether, pretty much. I don't know. So. That's a good question. I'm interested to see how these negotiations actually go. Like you know, where when they recognize the you know, obviously they've recognized them as representatives now. Whether the negotiations are still going on, 
about, you know, if they're going to keep... The one thing I would I would say if I was a union rep in that, and maybe I'm probably... That's what probably happens. Here's the thing about this. You know, me and Patricia have never worked in animation. We, we see things from, like, you know, be, you know, on the other side of the television screen. Pretty much, like you know, mm-hmm. we we see the glass and you know have the uh, the rays beamed at us, and uh, we see it from that point of view. And then we do the occasional interviews with people who have been in the in the industry and do know. And I have my yearly conversations with Craig Ballard, as everybody knows. So that's my you know my insights only go towards people who have like been open and honest about talking about what's going on in the industry. Besides that, you know, I've never been in it myself, so I don't know. So I want to put that thing in there. So I mean, I don't know what go. I mean, I've never been in a union, uh, you know, uh, bargaining, you know, um, meeting or anything like that. And uh, so you know, in regards to animation, you know, in what goes on over there. So, but if if I was and I had no idea what I was doing, which is probably what I'm talking about now, is that you know, I'd be interested to see like if you have people who are on the Nickelodeon workload. Is it a, a situation where you are employed directly by Nickelodeon to do Nickelodeon? projects and uh, you move from project to project as things go along or is it the fact that you know the producer gets the green light on basically making this thing they get to put together the team of people who you know they want to basically work on the project because keep this in mind like you know I can probably imagine that a lot of producers who um want to put their show together like you know there's a massive difference between you know uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and the Owl House isn't there? So, like, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and there's a big difference between, you know, the Rugrats and Hey Arnold, say, 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 uh, you know, just to give two examples, like, the two different types of tone and two different types of animation style in regards well, to Well, I mean, to be together. fair, Craig Bartlett did work on uh, Rugrats before he, he did. Hey Arnold. Yeah, yeah he, he did, but, I mean, keep in mind, like, you know, Craig Bartlett didn't produce the Rugrats, he just, like, was a story writer for the Rugrats, and then he went off and did his own thing. Pretty much. And yeah, so, like, so that's not to say that people who started off working on one show can spin off and create something else. Exactly, yeah. But what I'm saying is that, you know, people have their own visions and they have their own, and those different types of visions might include different people. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. so like you know, the, sure. You, it's you know, um, I might be totally wrong on this, but uh, maybe people will be pointing this out, like you know, if they like they're, they're geeky enough to like roll through the credits at the end of the shows. But uh, I don't know, like I always seem like seems to see that different names seem to appear in credits on different shows, and uh, you know, only like you know the the usual suspects are always uh, Jim Lang, for example, like you know, uh, Remy Musquiz is obviously another one, and uh, then you know, uh, Stu Livingston is obviously like you know those people who are very well known to like you know do really good work and pretty much end up on every animation project you know that's that's existed in california you know you know like uh, the, the, the we know who that we know who the big heavy hitters are in the industry and obviously their names come up but i noticed that you know there's obviously that name and this name and that or the other name and different things come up so like i don't know like i just uh, the way i see it like i don't know whether it's a situation where you know you're unionized as part of a particular you know project that you are working with in tandem with nickelodeon but you're working you're also answering directly to the producer of that particular show or is it the fact that you work directly with nickelodeon and basically you float from project to project and you just get to do you know different things i, I don't know like you know it's just uh, i've never been that heavily involved in the nickelodeon politics if you will so um, I can only speculate at this point but that's just me so and and now here comes a long email telling me how wrong I am about everything I've just said (laughs) 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 that's coming so anyway shall we move away from that and talk about uh, Tiny Sinsley University uh, yes, yes, let's do that. Right, so Cartoon Network and HBO Max will be giving us Tiny Toons University. That's one of the very few things that seems to have survived attack right off 
from the looks of it. So, yeah, um, <laughs> luckily. Yeah, and uh, I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, you know, um, after after the fact that Vel- I mean, we're going to talk about Velma later on in the show, but the fact the fact that HBO Max has left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Like, you know, um, it's kind of it's more of a concern for Tiny Toons University than it is, like, uh, you know, an excitement for it. Don't get me wrong, Animaniacs has been great. I think we can all agree on that. We've not seen it yet, but we've had heard, heard some really good things about it. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. now it's going to be going into the final. We'll talk about that, you know, later on as well. But t- now that we're going into Tiny Toons University, and uh, it kind of makes me think, you know, uh, are they, you know, going to take really good care and attention with this, and are they going to, you know, uh, figure out what made Tiny Toon Adventures work, you know? Uh, yeah, when it's a different one. beast than Animaniacs, considering that we've seen from Animaniacs that even though it is kind of like a sort of continuation from the old series in which Yakko, Wacko, and Dot have been locked up in their tower for over, uh, you know, several decades, and when they're released, they start getting accustomed to what, you know, today's society is now. Um, we have... Tiny Toons University, which is a reboot to the original series. It's going to be basically somewhat similar to what the original story was, which according to what it says right here for their description... Um, As the esteemed institution of higher hijinks learning, they form long-lasting friendships with one another and perfect their cartoony craft while studying under the greatest cartoon characters in history, which are the Looney Tunes. So, yeah, it's essentially the original story in which you have Buster and Babs and Plucky and Hampton who are learning from the Looney Tune characters, such as Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Porky Pig. So, it's basically their adventures, and... It's going to be really interesting to see if they're able to capture the original essence of the show. So as far as we know, as um, as far as uh, who's going to be confirmed of being a part of this show, Steven Spielberg is going to be back as the executive producer. And uh, Sam Register, the uh, current uh, president of Cartoon Network Studios, he's going to be an executive producer as well. Uh, Amblin Television co-presidents Justin Falvey and Daryl Frank are going to be the executive producers. And Aaron Gibson is going to be our showrunner and co-executive produced alongside with Nate Cash. So they're going to be the ones involved in it. As for whether they can capture the original essence of Tiny Toon Adventures from 1990, that's going to be pretty interesting to see. That, that's what that's what concerns me. Like, you know, will they understand of what made the original show work? Like, you know, like if this is like a bunch of skits that, you know, um, are, you know, comedic routines, and, uh, or is this just going to be, like, you know, a massively story-driven, you know, show, which, you know, you're going to have to rely on building, uh, you know, characters, you know, a lot of characters out of this, you know, and uh, so, um, I don't know what, I mean, here's the thing, I can't really kept my, you know, finger on the pulse on, like, what they're going to do with uh, Tiny Seasal University, I mean, uh, if they keep the original essence of the show, and then just give it a modern twist, I think, you know, it will be, you know, I think it will be good. I think, but, uh, you know, if they decide to, like, you know, just go, you know, um, if they decide to, like, you know, um, turn this into, like, oh, hey, this is just, like, you know, uh, you know, a, a typical story of, like, you know, a school that, you know, could exist in any universe, and it just happens to have the Looney Tunes in it, and it's not, you know... That, and they have like you know the jokes that you know everyone would just get and things like that. You know you know you know if like it ends up kind of like just being a bit mediocre. I think you know that uh, that that would be a concern. I think for me in regards to you know where because you know look where they are at the moment in regards to mm. uh, you know where this like you know they have a great reputation already in this and uh, so I think uh, you know they are going to be banking on Tiny Toons University being a success. And I think dare I say I think there's probably more pressure probably put on the people who are making this show. 
I think of course, you know, there's a lot of pressure considering that a lot of shows were canceled and were given tax write-offs. The shows that have survived, they better step up their game. And we're going to be talking about that with Velma in just a minute. Exactly. Yeah. Like here's the thing. You know, uh, give you a bit of a, a spoiler and like you know what's coming up. You know, Velma sucked. So and uh, Animaniacs is coming to sucked. an end. It was a flaming train wreck. I know, but uh, I mean, before we get into that, you know, because obviously we're holding it in, but uh, um, you know, where they are at the moment, like there is a lot of uh, you know anticipation on Tiny Toons University. There, I say, a lot of pressure on them as well. So uh, unfairly, in my opinion, because I think this is either going to go two ways. It's either going to be you know one of the greatest things that Cartoon Network and HBO Max have ever produced, and you know you know cutting up all those shows was worth the wait, or it's going to be an absolute disaster, and uh, you know this is going to put even more pressure on uh, Warner Brothers Discovery to uh, you know somewhat perform, and uh, they'll either like you say you know this ain't worth it no more and sell up again. You know, yeah. it's like it's just, it's a, you know, it's um, it, it really is still, you know, a disaster over at Warner Brothers Discovery, in my opinion. And uh, this merger has just not worked, you know, for anyone. And if anything, it's just made a lot of people just feel very unhappy about the product. If anything. Yeah, a so. lot of people have just been really unhappy with not only the product, but also where HBO Max is now going to. And the fact that uh, HBO Max has the gall of charging more people money for their services when they've removed a lot of things that people enjoyed. So they they ask they want more they want less for more effectively. Yes. It's just it's, no, no. It's like it's just how are they supposed to compete? With, by the way, how are they supposed to compete with other streaming services that are also losing subscribers? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, Netflix is going through a lot, and so is a lot of other streaming services. So the fact that HBO Max is saying, yeah, give us more money, even though that we have less content because we've been removing a lot of stuff. And so that, like, you know, there's going to be, like, the free streaming services coming up soon as well. Like, uh, so, you know, people are going to want to just watch a bunch of adverts, and then after that, they'll put up with, you know, that, and then watch whatever they want for free. As well, mm -hmm. unlike uh, and dare I say, it's probably better than some of the stuff that Warner Brothers Discovery are putting up right now. That's Pretty true. Much. Exactly. Yeah. So they they've got a problem. They have a big problem, and uh, you know this. You know, uh, we would rather be talking about like you know how Tiny Toons University is going to be like you know the the best thing since sliced bread, but you know, uh, given what we've seen <laughs> recently, you know, doesn't really give us much hope, does it? So. Uh, well, I mean, again, we don't know anything other than it's happening. So that's pretty much it. We haven't seen any official... I mean, we did see kind of like the official promotional art of the Tiny Toons characters getting out of the TV, but we haven't seen any other pictures. We haven't even seen a trailer yet. So we cannot say for sure that this is going to be a new take on Tiny Toons that a lot of people are going to be getting themselves into. I mean, we already know that a lot of the voice actors are most likely not going to be a part of this, unlike an Animaniacs, in which they got Rob Paulson, Tress McNeil, and Jess Harnell as Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, and Rob Paulson and uh, Maurice Lamarche is pinky in the brain. So the fact that Charlie Adler is not going to be Buster Bunny and probably Tress McNeil will not be Babs Bunny. I mean, a lot of people are saying, okay, this is like a complete reboot, like a new interpretation of the characters that we've known of for about 30 years. So, yeah. I mean, did I, did I hear somewhere, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, apparently they're going to change the relationship between Buster and Babs Bunny. They're making them brothers and sisters. Yes. Oh, well, that, so, so there are no relation jokes out the window. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like, I mean, I guess it's been kind of done to death, I think, at this point. Even even the show itself was making fun of that joke at one point. Exactly, yeah. So it's like, at this point, oh, they're not just friends, or in some episodes they were joking as, like, they were trying to be a couple. No, they're literally brother and sister. Yeah, you know what? And I, I know th- a lot of, and I know a lot of people were, like, really upset about this, saying, like, but the whole joke about them was that they weren't related, even though their last name was Bunny. But now that they are, you know, brother and sister, it's like, okay, now the joke is completely off. Which well, to, I uh, get to, it. To, to, to quote llamas with hats, uh, I think, I'm afraid there's some, t- some pictures I have to delete from my computer. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going there. I'm not this, going there. This is Luke Skywalker and Leia all over again, isn't it? Oh, please. I'm. I'm. No. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, let's uh, move away from that, shall we? And let's get into something else. So, uh, yes. Please. Uh, unfortunately, it's more sad news, and that is that uh, the Animaniacs, even though me and Patricia have not seen one episode of it yet, uh, its final season is going to be launched on February 17th. And uh, even though we've yet, to, it's still on the list for us to, you know, do and talk about at some point, but. Uh, right now I don't have access to Hulu and uh, right now I think uh, do you have access to Hulu I can't remember if you do I not. do actually I do, yeah but it's just, it's just been on the list and we've not had a chance to do it so uh, who yeah, knows yeah, because we've just been watching like other things that other, been... yeah exactly like you know and also like we've uh, taking we've, our time yeah and uh, you know we've actually got another show that we're still waiting to see if we can get announced uh, at some point that uh, you know that involves another whole series as well and oh, uh, when yeah, we that's... announce it you'll be amazed that we found time for it exactly <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so recently the Animaniacs posted up a trailer of what they're going to be doing for their third and final season. So we saw a parody of Mad Max Fury Road, and we have uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot uh, basically doing like a parody of Thundercats. And we have uh, Pinky and the Brain basically just, you know, going over this. Uh, joke regarding about in Mad Max Fury Road where Pinky says you might say there's a lot of fury on this road and uh, according to the plot synopsis uh, Pinky and the Brain's never-ending plans to take over the world journey them to unexpected realms and while new friends Starbucks and Cindy continue their play date the Warner siblings must battle their way out of a video game learning the secrets of being a teenage influencer and escape a mad scientist island all while trying to find time to teach us about the threat of global warming so um i mean yeah it's it's um, right on the money animaniacs you know uh, here's here's this here's this thing let's make absolute fun of it and uh, let's all have a bunch of laughs while that's going on like yeah it's um, i tell you what it's gonna i wonder if this is gonna this season's gonna come out and it's gonna make everyone really like miss the show and uh, say oh hey i want to see more you know oh so. for sure yeah oh yeah like uh but, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, um, I, I don't want to, like, you know, make this, you know, uh, a thing, but, I mean, how old's Ron, Ron Paulson now? I mean, like... Uh, uh, he's in his uh, 60s now. Oh, he's in his 60s? Oh, okay. I thought he was older. Than yeah, he is. Reason. He's in his... Yeah. I think he's 67, I think, yeah. from what I remember last time. I mean, I, I don't know where he's at at the minute, but, you know, I quite imagine he wants to retire at some point, but... Uh, I, I mean, know. yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised that he is still going considering that he went through throat cancer a few years ago well you know like given the fact that he got out i mean here's the thing like you know um cancer changes your whole perspective on life it really does like you know and uh, then when you finally get over it i guarantee there's like there's people who like you know being clear from cancer and all of a sudden it's kind of like oh hey i want to do like everything i wanted to do in my 20s pretty much like you know like there's some people like who, who get clear from cancer and then all of a sudden just want to like you know grasp life again 
pretty much like you know i guess getting, i guess that's exactly she, what he was going through when he was suffering through that so yeah, but by the way we've we, we never spoken to ron paulson so we don't know where he's at mentally in regards to like you know where, how cancer has affected him i mean obviously he's talked about it on his shows you know multiple times and, he, and he's even written a book about it oh yeah exactly yeah so um i mean I was, you know it's, it's not i always wanted to, i wanted to read that book at some point i've heard so much about it and uh, now i just kind of like you know uh, have, a, have a background of it but uh, i mean like, here's the thing like you know ron's got a second chance at life Pretty much, and so like uh, he's gonna grasp it pretty much with uh, both with, with both hands, I would imagine. You know, and also with both vocal cords too. So uh, you know, like uh, it doesn't surprise it doesn't surprise me that you know he wants to basically you know voice you know anything that he he can do, and then also like you know talk with all these you know and do all these entertaining interviews that he does as well. So mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, yeah, he he's uh, he's he's um, where he's at doesn't surprise me at all. But I don't know if there's going to be a point where he's going to want to be like, you know, something. I actually kind of like, you know, want to like disappear to like, you know, another side part of the earth where I can sit on a beach and like, you know, just like, and I take it all in. Pretty much, you know, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> That's kind of like the stuff that he always jokes about in his podcast. It's like, you know, if he was like a live action actor, then he'd probably be swimming in money and just retiring over to a beach <laughs> so that he can be able to relax on his island. So, yeah, I mean, he's always been like a humble guy. I don't take it as a kind of person that would actually do that. He seems so passionate about his craft that the fact that he continued on even after throat cancer is not too much of a surprise. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, he's he's such an amazing character, you know. You know, funny enough, <laughs> you know, the the man behind the character is an amazing character himself, pretty much. Yeah, so. I, I met him once in a convention, and he was really nice. Oh yeah, I bet I bet I bet he's I bet he's a, he's a sweetheart. Oh, he is. He was really nice. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, um, right now, uh, so I'm assuming that we are approaching um, the end of at least this interpretation of the Animaniacs. Whether there's going to be more in the future, we have no idea. But, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, who knows, like, you know, if this ends up being really successful, maybe they might turn around to them and say, hey, look, you know, can you just do a little bit more? Or maybe you can do some specials. Like, you know, just mm. some, who knows? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. But if you are interested in checking it out, the last season will air on Hulu on February 17th. Awesome. Anyway, um, I'm going to get you all excited about this, Patricia, because there's more Sailor Moon coming. Uh, yeah, so. so finally we're able to have the completion of the true story of Sailor Moon. So uh, for those who don't know, Sailor Moon is based off of a manga created by Naoko Takeuchi back in the 90s. And it eventually had an animated series that aired about a few years later and a lot of people loved it. For some that uh, grew up with it, they you know prefer the old 90s version as opposed to the one that came out almost oh, 10 years ago. My goodness. Uh, the one, Sailor <laughs> Moon Crystal, which is... 90s stuff say it ain't so (laughs) it's true anyway so yeah back in 2014 uh, which is almost a decade ago oh my god um sailor moon crystal came out which is the second animated series based off of sailor moon but this time it was focusing more on the manga and it was originally airing on uh, what was it nico nico doga which is uh, the japanese equivalent of youtube and it had different style of animation and uh, with the exception of uh, the main voice actress behind Sailor Moon, they pretty much replaced everybody and they just had it with like newer current voice actresses. And a lot of people hated it. And I can understand why, because it's 13 episodes. The episodes are pretty rushed because they're more or less consolidating the original story that was written in the manga, as opposed to like when the original 90s version came out, they had so much filler. But that was the reason why was because the anime and the manga were going on at the same time. So, of course, you have to have filler episodes so that you can be able to you know, cram everything in so that you can be able to catch up with it. But unlike in complaints that I've seen for 
Dragon Ball or Naruto in which people are saying, you can just skip this episode and you don't have to worry about it. With Sailor Moon, a lot of people seem to love the filler episodes because it actually built the characters a lot more. You get to see them do a lot more things other than just, you know, be one note characters that just save the world and stuff like that. You actually got to see more of them hang out after school and you get to have episodes dedicated to them. Even though that wasn't part of the manga, a lot of people really loved it for that reason. And so as time went on with Sailor Moon Crystal, it's slowly gotten better with season three, basically like fixing the animation style because with the animation style, they were able to bring in the original director who was a part of Sailor Moon in the 90s, Chiaki Kon. He was able to kind of like streamline the animation to make it kind of look like the... um, uh, the 90s version, but at the same time kept to the style of Crystal. And that was the last time that we saw, um, you know, that as an animated series because Sailor Moon Eternal, which is the movie that came out last year in Japan, was based off of the fourth season, which is about the Death Moon Circus. And that was so long, it became a two-parter and it lasted, I believe, for like over two hours. And now Sailor Moon Cosmos, which is the last part of the story, which is the story that we never got. So again, for those who don't know, the last part of the story in Sailor Moon was involving with the Sailor Stars. The Sailor Stars who are these uh, group of uh, Sailor uh, Guardians who were able to do some... Um, protection with Sailor Moon, but at the same time, they kind of like spun off into their own things. And there was also another character named Chibi Chibi who kind of looked like Chibi Yusa, but a lot younger, like a baby. And then she was saying that, you know, that was like her sister or something like that. It's let's just put it this way it is super complicated. Um, but finally, after all this time, we find, you know, we are getting that localized not only in japan but also in america because here's the thing in america they never localized it because there was a lot of things that were considered to be um pretty risque for the 90s i mean you're you, you remember in other that words, fun <laughs> yeah in other words fun but yeah you you remember the, the whole thing about like sailor neptune and sailor uranus and they had to like change them to cousins oh, when yeah. originally yeah, there yeah, were when a you really think about it, didn't uh, didn't deep space didn't star trek deep space nine come out around the same time as sailor moon or am i thinking too too far ahead well i mean it, it came out in 92 in uh japan but we didn't get it until 1995 yeah so it would have been America. it would have been around deep space nine wouldn't it for speed for star trek wouldn't it or am I thinking? Yeah, I mean, I would say we. They had a lesbian couple in that show, didn't they? Yeah, what? I mean, I, I think that the Deep Space Nine one technically came out first because season one they didn't have Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus. They wouldn't come out until season two or three. I think it was season three when they had a Sailor Moon uh, S. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this like, came out wait, even is, later is, than that. Yeah, but like you know, we had lesbian couples in, on television. I mean, okay, they're in more adult, you know. Uh, orientated shows I mean so and also Sailor Moon even though it was an anime if you know in the western world it was aimed at you know it was aimed at the younger audience but uh, you know like it wasn't as far as I'm aware like it wasn't massively I mean obviously we had like you know the stereo you know, the, the, the stereotyped characters like you know like the the, the, the you know the, I still remember you know the one character I really despise out of everything animation is the Silver Spooner from Dial for Monkey like you know, like mm. yeah, that that that's that that yeah, that character probably not just you know for other people probably runs be the wrong way or always in regards to the way you know I feel bad actually you know, actually you know, watching it multiple times 
you know, back in my time, you know, now, you know, actually amazing people on the LGBTQ, you know, uh, in, in that community. So, uh, you know, there's just been so bad, you know, representations of that. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sarah Uranus and Sadie Lechun would have been, you know, uh, a, a really welcome addition, you know, uh, at that point. You know, like, mm-hmm. so just yeah, the, yeah, the Sailor Starlights were pretty controversial for the, um, the what you call it, for the um, the American audience when they first heard about it. It's like, okay, uh, we have these characters who are, um, you know, these popular pop singers, but they are women disguising themselves as men. Oh, man, this is really, you know, we can't show this to kids. And also... Like we have one character whose main, uh, you know, ability was literally named like, um, you know, Sailor Starlight Uterus. I'm not even joking. Oh. So there's that, and also the whole storyline involving with, um, you know, there's, you know, with the other characters, including like death and all that kind of other stuff, was still considered to be like pretty risque so that's the reason why we never got the last season let me ask of you the a really dumb Moon. question what was the distribution who ended up with sailor moon in distribution in what in uh, in the way like what tv channel did it end up coming out of oh are you talking about like when in the 90s version yes well let's see deke had the rights of uh, sailor moon and i think that aired on the usa network oh really Okay, then, like, uh, it makes me wonder, like, uh, I mean, um, Adult Swim came out in the late 90s, didn't it? Yeah, so, like, uh, but, uh, th- but Sailor Moon wouldn't air on Toonami until around the 2000s. Yeah, like, yeah, but it makes me wonder, like, if Adult Swim had come out around about that time, it makes me wonder, like, you know, would they have picked up that show? And, uh, I'm well, sure eventually they would have picked up the show, but the other shows that they were picking up at the time would have been, like, Dragon Ball Z and Cowboy Bebop, but yeah, Sailor it's Moon kind of complicated. Well, I mean, remember when Sailor Moon was being distributed by Deke? Then they they then changed over to um, you know different um, recording studios, and then different voice actors came along and voices the characters. So wow. it went through major distribution changes when it came out in America. I mean, there were like literally three different women who played a Sailor Moon during that uh, American time period. Oh wow! So, yeah, wow. and then eventually around. Are they, are, the, they the, are they on the convention route at the moment, or are they? Um, yeah, I actually met uh, one of the older Sailor Moon voice actresses, uh, Linda Ballantyne. I actually met her in a convention many years ago. She was really nice, and I actually met the original voice of Sailor Jupiter as well. Uh, her name is Susan Roman. Really nice person. The only person that I've met who is, you know, currently voicing in the show was Amanda Miller, and she's the current voice of Sailor Jupiter. I have not met the current voice of Sailor Moon, Stephanie Shea. I have not met her yet. Well, she hasn't so been at any of the conventions. Well, regardless of whatever Sailor you voice, like, you know, uh, if you've done that over the years, I mean, seriously, like, you know, uh, get, get to a convention and start, you know, start signing autographs. You're going you're gonna to make some good money. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have been. Uh, they just a lot of the uh, older Sailor Moon voice actors are Canadian, and they have shown up in a lot of the uh, Canadian conventions. Awesome. Uh, I think that there have been times in which they did come down to America and various other countries to appear in conventions. So I think that has done. Uh, they they they've done that before. This might sound like really. This I'm sorry. This sounds really terrible, but uh, you know, like, uh, so I mean, did they? I mean, what were the? You know, you know, in Canada, they kind of pronounce "about" as a boot. So was that what? <laughs> is that what the sailor? 
<laughs> we're doing at the time oh, like that, that's the least of its problems. That is the least of its problems with the whole Canadian thing. No, 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 no. Oh boy. So I start when I did the Sailor Moon podcast a few years ago with Creepy and Yama, I decided to watch one episode. Oh god. Okay. Where do I start? Okay, it, 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 it's pretty cringy to say the least. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about like the name changes because again, I completely understand for like the 90s if they want to, you know, generate it towards a Western audience, they have to change it. So they changed Usagi's name to Serena and they changed Mamoru's name to Darian. I get it. But the voice acting that they did for the characters was so terrible. I mean, especially when poor Naru when she was as Molly, they gave her this really bad Boston accent. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, it's, uh, and, and, and they literally, in, in the American version, they, well, I mean, like the Deke version, which came out. Anyway, in that version, they literally decided to horribly put in a Star Wars credit crawl in the beginning, which, by the way, the Japanese version does not well, have that whatsoever. Well, wasn't that a thing back in the time, like, you know, where Star... I mean, they were doing the special editions of Star Wars at the time, weren't they? So, like, uh, you yeah. know, then after that, every single, like, you know, thing that uh, you could stick a Star Wars crawl into needed a Star Wars crawl. Even the freaking... You know, you know we have that... Char I'll show you. Did they ever show you that Mr. Blobby character? From yes, uh, yeah, did. yeah. When they did this Mr. Blobby spe uh, special, like uh, even that has have a freaking Star Wars crawl. Like you know, like yeah, everything had a Star Wars crawl at that time. It was just a thing, just a fad, you know. <sighs> yeah, and uh, they made Luna, who is Usagi's uh, cat companion. They made her sound like an old woman, like a granny, and I'm like, no, no, that doesn't fit. But you know, like, didn't, you, didn't you say this was you know, didn't you say this was season one? Uh, that yes. this is happening in yeah, I mean like, um, you know, um, anime. I imagine coming over for the first time, and uh, then you know, season one, and not really. Uh, it's, it's a magic roundabout situation when you really think about, like you know, like uh, with the, when you're in the other original show, like they imported it from France, and then they realized it had no dialogue, and then they thought kids would be bored without dialogue, so they fit dialogue in just to kind of like make it work. You know, and so, like, it ended up being kind of like an unscripted, kind of like, you know, a hilarious show out of that. And I'm not saying that mm -hmm. Sailor Moon had the same disorganization, but what I'm saying is that this is a, you know, a new thing that they're putting on an audience and they don't exactly know what they're doing yet. And so, therefore, it's like it's really ends up being the way that it is because no one's ever kind of done it before. You know, I might mm -hmm. be totally wrong about that, but, you know, that's kind of how I see it all kind of playing out. In my head. Anyway, so going into, uh, you know, the main topic at hand. So Sailor Moon Cosmos, the fact that we're finally getting the conclusion of Crystal, the correct and more accurate telling of the manga is really exciting for me, especially since, you know, we've been wanting to see like a much more accurate for uh, portrayal of the series that a lot of people have been wanting to see more of for you know, like over 20 years. I mean, there's been so many things from Sailor Moon. I'm not even joking when I say there's, there's stage shows, there's, you know, tea shops, there's department stores. Um, they have their own section on Universal Studios. It is huge. Wait, it's like a stage show? As in Broadway? Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean... I um, I mean, they I, have been they have been doing this since literally the very beginning. I, I, you know, like the, the you know, I've seen some of the action scenes from Sailor Moon. I would have said it made made a more cooler stunt show than I would have said a you know a Broadway special. But I mean, like uh, that's just that's just my opinion. 
But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, but it's been big, and the fact that we're finally gonna get the uh, closing story, especially an animated one that sticks close to the manga than we've ever gotten, is great. And Hopefully, we'll be able to get it in America, just like how when it was released in Japan, and then eventually it was posted up on Netflix. So, I'd like to see that, especially since it's kind of funny and very serendipitous for two reasons. That 2023 just so happens to be the year of the rabbit, which, as you guys know, Usagi's name means rabbit on the moon. And there's a lot of iconography on rabbits. And then there's also the fact that June 30th, which is going to be when part two is going to be coming out, that's the birthday of Usagi and Chibiusa. So it's actually perfect that they'll be able to conclude this accurate telling of Sailor Moon in the theaters during Usagi's birthday in Japan. That's going to be like people flooding through the theaters just to go see it. Yeah, it, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be a big event, no doubt about it. It's going to be huge. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, so um, if you happen to be in Japan uh, at the time, um, so part one comes out on the ninth, and then part two comes out on the thirtieth of June. So yeah, and if you're in America, like I am, wait until it comes out on Netflix, probably within the next few months. Yeah, until they can probably pay some people to dub it. <laughs> um, I mean, Viz Media has been dubbing Sailor Moon for all, almost a decade, so they'll probably get. Stephanie Shea, Christina V, Amanda Miller, Jeremy Lee, and uh, they'll probably, you know, do that to, you know, finally conclude the series once and for all. What if they got a big Hollywood actress to play Sailor Moon? That would be terrible. I know it would be, but I mean, <laughs> if they if they did do it, who do you think would be a good Sailor Moon? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I mean, know. you have to get somebody who's really ditzy, airy, very bubbly, yet at the same time very determined and very brave. So mm. if anybody fits that bill, then <laughs> go for it. But I don't want you to go for it. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, what about, uh, oh, good grief, her name goes right out of my head. Who, who versus Lou's are the Owl House? Oh, uh, Sarah Nicole Robles? Yeah. What have they got her to do it? I mean, like, uh, she... mm, I don't know. I mean, it could be, it could work, but still, I, I don't know if I could see her play loose. I mean, she, uh, I mean, I, mean Sailor Moon. Yeah, I don't know if I can see her play Sailor Moon. I, I mean, I'm sure that she would do a really good job of it, but I don't know. Um, I don't think that it would fit the character per se. Okay, then. Well, just a thought. So. Mm. Okay. Maybe, but in the meanwhile, I I'm really happy with the current voice actors of Sailor Moon. Stephanie Shea does a fantastic job of portraying her, and I love all of the uh, the choices that they did with the characters. Uh, I mean, Amanda Miller is fantastic as Sailor Jupiter. I really love Kate Higgins as Sailor Mercury. Jeremy Lee does a great Sailor Venus. Christina V's great as Sailor Mars. Uh, everybody does great in their roles. I think that they were casted really well. The the, the Viz dub, you know, I think that they were great. I think they were fantastic choices. And so much so that I can't watch the 90s version. I'm sorry. It's, it's... Oh, yeah, I think, you know, when... The... You know, there's always going to be people. When it comes to people who know what they're doing because they've seen what's happened before and learned from their mistakes, then you know that's always going to be the better version. Like you know, like yeah, yeah, and especially since I get it that when 
it came out in the 90s. I mean, we had people who, you know, they did good voice acting for various Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. But, you know, you have, I mean, voicing for anime is a completely different beast. Like, voicing for a Saturday morning cartoon and voicing for anime is completely different. It's like, you have a different emotion. It's your your reflections of how you're feeling, especially if, it, if things are really, really stressful or or and you know filled with anxiety or something that's really sad you have a different tone in your voice and you know you have people who've been in the anime industry for a while like stephanie shea has been in the anime industry for over 20 years so she knows her shit so she knows uh, she's done everything from voice directing voice casting script writing and voice acting so the fact that she is sailor moon is great and, you know, everybody else is fantastic as well. So I think that they were able to do what was right in terms of the casting. Now, I don't have any issues with the uh, original voice actors as what they are. I just think it was just a overall poorly aged dub. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think we were sort of kind of like delaying the inevitable here of oh, like God. shifting gears into this. Like, we were probably one of the ones that would talk about Sailor Moon for like another hour and a half, but unfortunately. We have to move on to this. Um, Velma came out and did some really awful things and pissed off a lot of people. And now we have this whole train wreck uh, in front of us, which, uh, you know, is uh, something that um, really it takes quite a lot to do with a popular franchise like Scooby-Doo. And, uh, you know, we've seen some pretty bad things in Scooby-Doo. We've seen Scrappy-Doo. We've seen the live-action movies. We've seen, you know... Uh, I, I don't like 13 Ghosts, even though Vincent Price is like, you know... I really wish he was, like, in far more in, you know, uh, Sco- involved in Scooby-Doo than that particular thing. But, uh, yeah, um, good grief. This probably has to be the worst Scooby-Doo-related thing that's ever been produced. And uh, that's oh, saying a lot. I think, given that some of the stuff that we've had in the past. And, uh, yeah, so, um, this, yeah, I was listening to Saber Spark do his take on Velma, and, uh, you know, he kind of nailed it on the money. Like, this looks like somebody's fanfiction that they've written in their, like, own persona, and then they've written it, animated it, and put it up on the screen. And it just, it's, uh, none of the characters behave the way that you would expect any of the Scooby-Doo characters to behave. Velma is just a dick. Um, Same thing with Daphne. Fred is an idiot. And, uh, you know, um, Shaggy doesn't exist. He's a completely different character. Well, his name is not Shaggy in Velma. His name is Norval. Whatever. But uh, it's just, it's, uh, and also, I mean, and we knew this from the very beginning that there wasn't going to be, you know, a Scooby-Doo in this, but, uh, you know, just, after watching what's happened with this, you know, and having no character to hold on to in this show, like, uh, you really wish Scooby-Doo was there, pretty much. Yeah, and the fact that the reason why he isn't is because a talking dog is not realistic. Yeah, and even he, even if he was in this show, he would probably be far more realistic than any of these, uh, you know, joke characters that we've got in front of us. Good grief. Like, it's just, it's, uh, you know, the writing in this show is wrong. You know, dare I say, I don't even like, I'm not sure even if you like the animation for it either. Like, uh, again, you know, you know, I talked about, like, you know, in, remember when, uh, 
uh, when we talked about in the Roald Dahl retrospective of Tom and Jerry uh, meets Willy Wonka, and we talked mm-hmm. about how obnoxious the you know, the colors are in this and everything. You know, I get the same kind of vibes from this show too. You know. Oh really? Yeah, it's just it's a. It doesn't feel well animated. It doesn't feel well written, and uh, you know, it's just it's. Uh, the oh good grief! And also, I'm just looking as well. It's currently got a 1.3 out of 10 on IMDb, and apparently, it is what well, some people are saying the worst rated show on IMDb in history. It is. It it beats um what was it? What was that show? Um, uh, High Spice Guardian or something like that as the worst. Yeah. So, um, some of the complaints about this show, you know, there's one thing that they could have done is that this didn't necessarily need to be, uh, about Velma and about the other Scooby characters. This could have potentially have been its own show, you know, like, uh, it's just, it's, uh, um, you know, like some of the stuff that is currently in it also, um, you know, just some of the commentary also in it as well. It's just, it's just, uh, it's so off-putting. You know, like, I was talking about, like, you know, uh, uh, you know Fred is a, a white guy with a tiny dong, and uh, then you've got, like, uh, you know, um, all this other, like, commentary, like, you know, on, uh, you know, white people having too much money and stuff like that. Like, you know, really, you know, just it's, uh, all of that feels kind of a bit uncomfortable for me to watch. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, also, um, yeah, this just, it's, uh, I, I don't know, like, uh, this whole shit, there's, there's nothing I can point at to say, that this show would have a chance if they decided to make a second season for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, unless, of course, if they said that we they are. Yeah. Some people say, looking at this show, it makes the Emoji movie look like a cinematic masterpiece. I mean, to be quite honest, it was released in theaters. Um, yeah. So. Ugh. Um. Yeah. Like uh, the. I'm just looking at like. Uh, you know. There's a. There's actually a. Did you see that? There's actually a meme that's going around. You know the uh, the Batman slapping the Robin meme. Uh, someone's actually made yes. that with. Uh, you know the old Velma slapping the new Velma and saying, you know, Jinky, shut the fuck up. And uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. You know. You know what's really sad about this is that. I recently looked back on an old video discussing about Scooby-Doo behind the voices. And I was watching Nicole Jaffe, who was the original Velma from 1969. And she was talking about how the character was able to influence so many girls because they can be able to become leaders in their own right. They can be smart. They can be resourceful. And at the same time, they can be a little bit klutzy whenever that they lose their glasses, which by the way, all those quirks come from Nicole where she was able to, um, (laughs) while she was recording her lines, she accidentally dropped her glasses and she was like on the floor looking for them saying, I can't find my glasses. And the animators were like, this is funny. Let's put this in. And I think that when looking back on it, it's like, yeah, I know that the original series is dated, you know, by today's standards, but at the same time, the reason why the show has lasted, you know, for as long as it has been and the franchise is still going on even to this day is because the characters were great. And the fact that we're at this point right now is just pretty sad. Mm. So, um, it's just this, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got nothing else to, you know, I'm really, I'm trying to, it's so bad, like, it's really hard to put into words about how terrible it actually is, 
like it's just it's a, they they really should have been more thought and maybe you know um, someone should have kind of like turned around and said you know we should really give this you know another thought uh, you know because keep in mind like you know they were doing this with uh, remember when Powerpuff Girls was like you know were being you know uh, put together you know multiple times and then you know every rendition would basically would basically you know bit the dust and then after that another one would come up afterwards because like you know they just yep. do the, you know like uh, this is one of the situations where they really should have taken a look at this and say you know after the pilot they should have said yeah this needs to you know really needs to they really need to kind of like you know stop this and you know try doing it again. Really. Mm. Uh, critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes Jinkies. This uh, radical reworking of a beloved uh, mystery team has plenty of attitude and style, but doesn't have the first clue of how to turn its uh, clever subversion into engaging fun. So that's that, right. That's that's that, that's the kind version of that's the kind this thing they said about this show. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. You know, it's just it's uh, what was it? the latest thing that came out was Trick or Treat Scooby Doo. Pretty much, and uh, oh, I mean, you know. and that wasn't even that was canceled, though, wasn't it? Uh, no, that's still no, that was still no, that still didn't get canceled. Oh, really? Yeah, it was uh, it was a thing. Oh wait, I'm confusing it with the other holiday special that they canceled. Oh no, 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 not that one. Like, yeah, Trick or Treat Scooby Doo still definitely came out, and uh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's probably a way better, you know, uh, Scooby Doo related thing that's come out recently than than this. Well, so. yeah, it, it's the. It, it's completely different because they were done by different people. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, this show will probably end up getting a second season, probably. And, uh, but, uh, you know, because that seems to be where things go. But so who knows? Maybe this might be so terrible they might decide not to release it. Like, uh, so, you know, like, uh, but, you know, we, we, it's kind of, it's kind of find something, you know, that hasn't already been mentioned already because I listened to Saber Spark, I listened to Toon Grin, and I've listened to other people talk about this show, about how bad it actually is. And there's nothing more I can really add but to say to, you know, go watch Saber Spark and go watch Toon Grin and listen to them talk about this show because they can yeah. put it into way better words than we can. For sure. Much. Yeah, because, like, uh, we just. Uh, they shouldn't have done this. They really shouldn't. Yeah. And the fact that, again, just like we were saying earlier with uh, Tiny Toons University, that it's going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths when they realize of how many shows were canceled in order for this to happen. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the that's the big that's the big thing out of this. Like a lot of other shows were thrown to the side for this. Yeah, no more I've... Infinity Train, no more of Young Justice, no more. Uh, shows from Cartoon Network. A lot of the Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry sh um, ep uh, shorts were removed. Yeah, this is what happened when they were trying to do all these tax write-offs. They for this. They bet the house on Velma and lost. Good grief. <laughs> uh, well, it's what it is. What it is. Yeah. Let's move away from it. I don't think we got anything. Yes, please. More. Let, yeah. Let's move oh, away okay. from it. Let's give a. I mean, let's go from bad to you know. Okay, I guess. And so let's talk about our post thoughts on uh, a quite surprising addition to In Search of the Crystal Skull, which was Strange World, uh, which uh, recently Okay, came yeah. Out. I think that the fact that we decided to watch this on Disney Plus as opposed to going out to the theaters for us to watch it ourselves, 
The reason why was because when I asked you guys on both Twitter and on the YouTube community page on whether you guys saw it or not, pretty much none of you guys did. There have been a handful of people who did, but for the most part, nobody saw this movie. And I even got some people responding back to me saying they didn't even know it was even out because the promotion was so bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, I knew it was coming out because, you know, when I was watching YouTube, you know, uh, all the adverts were still there for Strange World. So yeah, I, knew, I saw I, this. I saw the same thing for the um, the 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 Twitter posts that you know the strange world was going to be a thing, and I saw the trailer of it a few times. But for the general audience, they didn't even know about its existence. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, I mean, you can go into all the conspiracy theories about why it was happening. I mean, like, I'm not going to really re retread all of those again. Like, you know, I, I don't know why it ended up. You know, I can only think that you know one thing: if it was going to give them the benefit of the doubt, say that the marketing strategy was probably wrong. Like, you know, they probably went for the internet audience and said, oh, hey, look, look, internet, like, you know, this this movie Strange World that's going to be coming out soon. And uh, they banked all their, you know, uh, hope that on the on the box office on social media hype, I think. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, even then, I mean, looking at it, it was like, okay, this looks interesting. And, uh, but uh, I wouldn't say that it was something that was, you know, going to try and get me out into the theater. And then when the reviews started coming out, it's like, oh, good grief. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, this ends in critical soul territory pretty easy. This is what, it's kind of funny, like, I was looking at this movie, and we were watching it, and uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, is this movie, uh, you know, kind of like the reason we started In Search of the Crystal Skull? Like, you know, was this the epic adventure that was, you know, a, a mediocre product? That, uh, you know, uh, was this, like, did this movie built for our show? <laughs> Pretty I much think so. it was because, well, I mean, it, that and also the fact that the per the purpose of us doing Crystal Skull was we saw all the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes going on the 60 to 70 percent range. And we were like, did it deserve it? And we were trying to say, OK, maybe they were just being a little too harsh and we're going to give you our thoughts into if you know, it deserves to be higher or it the the ranking that it is at deserves to be so. We have seen several of them that didn't deserve it, such as Mrs. Doubtfire, The Mask, UHF, and Home Alone. But then there were some, it's like, oh yeah, it definitely deserves to be pretty low on the list, such as, um, let's see, we have um, Be Kind Rewind, we weren't really too crazy about, and this and yeah i mean these ratings are justifiably so yeah like this is like this is a very middle of the road movie you know even looking at it now like you know if if you've got a disney plus subscription and you just happen to see it and you're just curious about it then yeah by all means go go watch it like it's not going to hurt you if you do watch it but uh, at the same time don't think it's going to be on the uh, on the you know uh, there's other epic movies that you could watch of Philly on uh, on Disney Plus that isn't Strange World, and uh, dare I say like you know I think Strange World is going to be one of those movies that just kind of like gets lost in the shuffle and it's kind of like mm -hmm. and it just happens to get going. oh hey look this 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 thing was was, was this was a thing <laughs> uh, back in twenty twenty two I think uh, when it was released. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and um, I still feel the same way about the characters. I still feel the same way about the, uh, you know, I don't feel like there's anything more to kind of add, except, you know, maybe in, in hindsight, you don't realize how gross it is that we've been traveling through, like, you know, this thing's body, pretty much, you know, like, until you get to the very end of the film, and it's like, Bleh! it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, was that what we were going through this entire time? Really? Yep. It's like, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a kind of weird you know, sometimes kind of gross movie. 
in a way. And, uh, and not only that, but as we mentioned in our discussion, that the characters of Jaeger and Searcher were some of the most unlikable protagonists that we've seen in Disney in a long time. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, um, yeah, you really couldn't attach yourself to any of these, to, to any of these two. Like, you know, they were, uh, I just, uh, I, I also thought that as well, they weren't really all that interesting when you really think about it like they were kind of like stereotypes of one another in a way mm -hmm. and so there was nothing like there was nothing like unique about what, what was uh, kind of going also on top of that when they played the whole like uh, oh you know um um you know uh when search says about you know his mom he says like you know mom's gone it's kind of like oh you know we're gonna have an emotional moment it's kind of like oh he's uh, she's gone off with somebody else now because she thought you were dead it's kind of like oh really it's like you know it's like you know, um, yeah, that, that, I, was, that I, was one thing that you wanted to say in our original discussion, but you didn't have the time to say it. Oh, yeah, that... actually, I, I, I forgot to mention that. Like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, that was a bit, that made me feel like, you know, oh, hey, you know, mom's, you know, mom's gone. It's kind of like, oh, wow, we're going to have an emotional moment. It's like, then they kind of just wrote it off, like, you know, in a couple of seconds later. It's like, what? It's like, you know, come on, guys. Yeah. Give us some yeah. breathing room. <laughs> give, give us something to emote to. You know? Yeah, but unfortunately, that didn't happen throughout this entire movie we were just so underwhelmed by the adventure and just so overwhelmed by their really you know negative responses to each other we were just sick of it yeah it's just it's like, i i, I think the thing about this is that you know a lot of the people who were like on there didn't want to this thing felt like they were interested in wanting to be there in the first place Pretty much, mm. it's like you know, it's like it's not like it's not like Treasure Planet. Anyway, did they, actually, that's an interesting question. Is is it worse than Treasure Planet? Yes. This movie. Oh, good grief. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At least Without a doubt. At least with Treasure Planet, yeah. See, you know, you had uh, you know uh, Long John Silver, and you had like a few other people to like, like hold on to. Pretty much in that movie, but good grief, like you know, uh, our characters here, ugh, you know, like uh, you, you get sick of them pretty quickly sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah, and I can understand the concept of wanting to make Jim Hawkins like this arrogant, cool, punky kind of character because it was the 2000s. That was kind yeah, of like the style exactly. back then. But, but here, it's like, there's no excuse. There is no excuse on why they're just like, you know, so angry with each other to the point in which like we cannot relate to them. Usually in a situation like this, I'll be leaning more towards one side or the other. It's like, okay, maybe Jaeger is justified of wanting to explore more because maybe he was sheltered as a child and he never got to be able to uh, break out of his horizons. And maybe Searcher, uh, the reason why he's the way he is is because he never got an opportunity to state what he wanted. He just wanted to not be an explorer. He wanted to just be a humble farmer but no then he's putting off the same thing that he did for his son ethan and ethan is just a pretty boring generic character which the only thing about him that people really talk about him is that he's gay yeah and uh that that's well and that's the that's the thing that uh, unfortunately people decided to overshadow this movie with which you know um she shows you how interesting this movie actually was that that overshadowed it all I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But, uh, sorry guys, this thing is mediocre and, and is basically what we were looking for when we were when we embarked on searching for the crystal skull. And, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, it looks I'm like sorry, everyone, for those who actually did like this movie. 
I, I'm, if you did, good for you. But for Aaron and I, we were pretty disappointed. And I still state the same thing. Out of all the movies that came out during the revival era, this is hands down the worst one. By the way, um, the, our journey's not over. Like, you know, we're still going to try trying to, you know, like, you know, we're, we're still going to go on an epic adventure for a mediocre, mediocre movie. So that's, that's still going to be a thing. So. Yeah, that's true. In fact, um, as of the making of this podcast, I'm just reposting up all of our old episodes of Crystal Skull that we did throughout Christmas. And as for uh, Strange World, that will be coming out sometime next month. But yep, we still got some other cool stuff to talk about when Crystal Skull returns in April. Cool. Right, um, let's talk about this bit of interesting news from Nintendo. So, um, we have been introduced to the NOS, that is the new operating system, which offers a fresh and new way to interface with your Nintendo Switch. And, uh, it's so... really interesting, considering that um, when it comes to like the interface with Nintendo, they've always pretty much stayed the same with just like showing off news and the Nintendo eShop and all that kind of stuff. So the fact that they're doing something different to it is pretty surprising. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you guys to like, you know, the way that the operating system sort of works at the moment. Like, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, you know, you turn on your Nintendo Switch and, you know, you just press like three buttons and then after that you're in. You know, and uh, the only things you can really do. Here's the thing about this: like, you know, there's, uh, there's no in the current one. There's like, there's, there is like a, uh, a web browser you can like, you know, get get yourself into, but uh, it's not like really there. So um, the um, Polish developer Red Deer Games announced that the new operating system, a Switch app that promises to turn Nintendo's latest handheld console into a full-fledged tablet or thereabouts. Uh, compared to even the most impressive uh, Switch UI redesign concepts out there, the NOS app uh, takes things uh, to the next level by focusing on delivering a highly customizable user experience with a plethora of app-like functionality. Uh, even though the uh, Captain uh, Touchscreen is hardly among the uh, most dated features of the Switch, uh, the developers have committed to uh, taking advantage of this uh, capability uh, are few and far between, and despite its tablet-like form factor and the fact that its internal mirrors of those uh, now-aging Android devices Nintendo showed little interest in uh, encouraging non-gaming software development for the Switch over the last six years. So, uh, the new Q the newly announced NOS that is meant to provide Nintendo Switch owners with a fairly uh, modular piece of software which allows them to add an array of uh, tablet-like apps and features to their handheld consoles, uh, so such as a calculator, a notepad, a day planner, a to-do list, a paint app, and a multimedia gallery, are some of the built-in functionalities of the upcoming software codenamed Fuji. Uh, that's because spot that comes out of the box. Uh, the, the NOS promotional materials shared by Red Deer Games even reveals a sliding puzzle game that's also built into the app as well. So um, I'm guessing like this is like their version of probably like Mario Paint in a way, or like uh, their version of like uh, I'm trying to think of like an, uh, you know um, uh, you know an alter you know uh, sort kind of a similar thing that. Uh, that this would have been built off. By the way, that's the thing I've got. I was reading out to you was from Game Run, by the way. Um, I don't think there's anything actually been kind of like this, really, because, uh, I mean... What about uh, Super Mario Maker? Um, no, well, they didn't have, like, a notepad and, like, a puzzle game and, like, you know, various other, like, you know, a calculator or anything like that. I mean, like, uh, the only thing I can really think... Strangely enough, the only thing I can really think of right now is probably the GameCom. You remember that? The Tiger GameCom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, that had a calculator and, like, a puzzle game built into it and stuff like that as well. Like, uh, I'm trying to think, like, other things that are like the Nintendo Switch that would have had things like that really but uh you know unless you have a computer or you know uh, a pc or a mac yeah you really don't have like I mean, things like that really 
usually whenever I set up my system, I would usually get a calculator and I would probably put in a notepad for like cheats and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's been a while since I've come across something like that. Exactly. Yeah. But this is built into the actual game console itself. Right, right. Yeah. So like, uh, so um, this is going to be uh, coming to Nintendo Switch sometime. Well, it's not actually got a date from what I can see. It's just coming in Nintendo Switch uh, January 2023 from what we can see. So um, yeah, we will be, uh, you know, looking to see what uh, this is going to be about. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, so um, it looks like people, uh, it looks like uh, some people in Poland have decided that you know the Nintendo Switch needs you know uh, a desktop of some sort, and uh, this is their you know uh, solution for it. So awesome, awesome. Okay, let's switch gears from S- Nintendo to Sega. This is such a weird story that uh, we're about to go, and this involves. Um, by the way, do you know what car boot sales are in the UK? Uh, no. Okay, so basically, uh, people go uh, drive up into like a parking lot, or and then open their boots up, and then like put a table out, and basically sell whatever they have in their basement or whatever they have in their attic, whatever they don't want anymore. Basically, they uh, have this like these things called car boot sales, where they drive up and uh, they take things out of their boot, they put them onto a table, and then sell them to the general public. So that's basically oh, a car sounds boot like sale. a yeah sounds like a garage sale for us in America where if we have like useless junk that we don't want to just dump and we want to make a few extra dollars we put out a sign and saying hey there's a garage sale and we just put out our stuff out and we just have people buy it for just a few bucks yeah but uh, I think uh, well obviously we can't take our garages with us to uh, a parking lot so I think or a car park <laughs> so I guess that's <laughs> well I mean they, they just call it a garage sale because yeah. they mostly get all the junk from well, the garage. Maybe, maybe Maybe, maybe flea market might be probably a better way of describing this, maybe. so. Okay, uh, yeah. fair enough. And to those of you who do not know what we're talking about, I'll uh, start with this line. So this is from Eurogamer. Um, a lost Michael Jackson video game built in for the Sega World Amusement Park has been salvaged from a UK boot car boot sale. Uh, Michael Jackson appeared in the Sega's Scramble Training, uh, giving a voiceover to the Motion Simulator arcade game that was released back in March 1993, uh, built on the Sega's Advanced Simulator 1 pod. For those of you who do not know, I think it's like one of those uh, where you like you get into it and like it kind of simulates like you know uh, aircraft you know traveling and cars and things like that. So like uh, it's um it's, it's one of those. I think uh, Nintendo did like one I think for like F Zero. I think uh, back in Japan. I think. So um, I think that I think that's what they were back in the day. And uh, I don't think they're as like big as like you know like the ones where they actually simulate you know like aircraft travel and stuff like that. I don't think. Okay. Oh, actually, actually, hang on a second. No, actually, actually that's the not the one I was thinking about. Actually, is uh, oh good grief, it's actually bigger than that. Good oh, grief. Okay. Oh, it was huge. <laughs> okay, then. never mind. <laughs> it is probably as big <laughs> as like the uh, yeah the uh, as those. So, um, so it was basically done for those types of systems. Now, how this ended up in a car boot sale? By, by the way, this is not like you know the actual like machinery, like the big massive you know big ass machine that we're talking about here. This is more like you know um, the actual like you know game circuits and things like that. I think that actually ended up in this, all the tapes, if you will. So, um, um, according to uh, this, uh, so he was involved in this game. However, after, you know, he was accused of touching some kids, obviously that was then taken out and he was no longer involved with the game because of that. And so, um, earlier this year, however, a digital tape, oh, oh, here we go. So a digital tape titled Sega AS1, Michael Jackson Verse, was discovered at a car boot sale in the UK. As GamesRadar and Forbes reported it, is being sold by someone selling items owned by the departed relative who happens to be a former employee of Sega Amusement Europe. 
It turns out wow. that the tape contains a full recording of scramble training footage, complete with uh, English voiceover from Jackson and dubbed into Japanese. Uh, while the game itself remains unavailable, the tapes, including Commander Jackson, have now been uh, uploaded onto YouTube. Uh, Jackson's love of Sega has been well documented from his Moonwalker game released in uh, the Mega Drive uh, for him to reportedly composing music for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Indeed, Jackson's music uh, on Sonic 3 has been long been a myth, but earlier this year, uh, Yugi Naka uh, seemingly confirmed Jackson's involvement. However, he later stated that his uh, his uh, statement was a mistranslation. So, um, yeah, another anomaly in Sega history of uh, Jackson's sort of confusing involvement with Sega. Uh, in this, and so here's some video footage of him actually being in the Sega AS1, which was like the big ass machine. And so these are reportedly the tapes of him, you know, doing the um, like the the video intros for these games that he was basically a part of. So, oh. yeah, you know, it's actually funny. You remember when we did the As Told by Ginger reunion live stream a few years ago? I remember. Yeah, and Bob Deaver, who was one of the storyboard artists, had told us that years after he was done with the show, he actually sold all of his artwork of As Told by Ginger to somebody, and they kept it in their basement for decades until when I was doing the podcast with um, him uh, when we were doing We're In Between, uh, he decided that he was going to go back and he was going to see if he can try to buy back all that stuff, and he just gave it to him. So this stuff about like being hidden away in some gar you know garage sale or some yard sale or anything like that of these priceless lost media that we will never find is not too surprising because people don't know the worth of this stuff yeah so uh, but obviously um you know this is like it wasn't actually like in the game itself it was like so this is like you know lost media pretty much until yeah. finally it's made its way back and uh, i don't know like again i've never played this game and like here's the thing about this like i never really like you know was much into the sega you know arcade games you know when i used to go to the arcade like you know obviously there was like the you know the, the classic ones like you know Street Fighter and like you know, uh, also Michael Jackson's Moonwalker actually was an arcade game actually back in. Yes, in the it arcade was an arcade time. game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like you know, Michael Jackson was you know a thing <laughs> you know back, back at that time in regards to arcades. But sure. uh, I mean, obviously you know Sega Scramble Training. I can't even say I've ever played, so I don't know what it's like. But uh, mm -hmm. I mean, in regards to you know Michael Jackson adding anything to the game, like it's uh, I mean it's kind of weird. Do you remember when he was in my in Men in Black and like you know he was like you know auditioning to be Agent M. In, yes, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, like you know, that was that was kind of crazy in itself, and uh, so it's kind of crazy to think that you know Michael Jackson is also in a game called Scramble Training, pretty mm -hmm. much. So, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, Michael Jackson has done some really interesting things for himself. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but, so the fact that we were able to find this lost Sega game after, like. I mean, it's been, it would have been almost like 30 years. It's kind of crazy to think so that, hey, you know, we thought that we knew everything about Michael Jackson and Sega. We thought about Moonwalker. We thought about Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Knuckles, but not this other one. This is crazy. Yeah. It makes you wonder what, what other you know, Sega properties was he also involved in? Like That's a good it. question. I don't know. Something tells now, me this isn't, this isn't the end of the story. I feel like we're going to find Michael Jackson in some other places. Well, Sega. I wouldn't say so because if you recall back in the early 90s, you remember when Michael Jackson was all over the news because they thought that he had sexually assaulted a teenager? Yeah, I, I well, we referenced that. That's the reason why he was taken out of this game. But, like, you know, who yeah. knows what other lost media might be out there? Like, you know, what what other things might have been done before, you know, these allegations came out? Oh, before now, the allegations. Exactly, sure. yeah. So, I mean, because this was done before. 
you know, um, they, or this all came out. Exactly, in 1993. So, you know, Sega was around, you know, during the Master System time. So, like, you know, was there other advertisements, was there other, like, deals that they had with, with MJ at the time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to do other stuff? Like, uh, so, I mean, this might be, you know, uh, I don't know, like, it just seems every time, you know, Michael Jackson's relationship with Sega is such a crazy thing. Like, you know, there's, like, times where he's been involved with stuff, and then all of a sudden his name's been pulled off for, you know, who knows whatever reason. And then uh, there's other times where, you know, oh, no, he didn't have an involved with this, and then all of a sudden he does. Like, then all of a sudden, like, other stuff starts to appear in the background. It's so strange. I mean, it does make a lot of sense because we have seen in multiple videos that Michael Jackson was really into video games. I mean, we saw with Moonwalker when they did that film that he was excited about the arcade game and then when it was out on the Sega Genesis and he loved Sonic. Mm -hmm. So he was more than excited to do Sonic 3 and Knuckles. But then when he heard the audio bits of how his music was, he decided to remove the stuff entirely, not wanting to be a part of it. So... The fact that he wanted to do more video games, I think maybe even before the stuff that he did for Sonic 3, is not too surprising. I mean, Michael Jackson, at least around the 90s, was huge. Like, he was undeniably the king of pop, and he was hugely popular with a lot of his albums. I mean, Black and White, um, um, various other things. So I think that... A lot of people still loved Michael, and then when the 1993 event happened, then people were starting to look at him in a completely different light. Yeah, by the way, any 90s kids or 80s kids who are currently listening to this thinking, you know, why are they explaining Michael Jackson again? Keep this in mind. We have people who, I'm trying to think, like, you know, when did Michael Jackson pass away? 2009. 2009. So there's probably, like, a whole generation of kids people right now who have probably never heard of Michael Jackson, maybe, who are listening to this show yeah. at first and thinking, who's this guy? Like, you know, like exactly, he, yeah. He's a pop don't, star, don't take, video don't, games? Yeah, you don't take this stuff for granted, people. I mean, if we have listeners who are in their teenage years, they will not probably know who Michael Jackson is. Yeah, so 2009 he passed away. Uh, yeah, so good, that would have yeah. been almost 13, 13 years, years ago. ago. Only 14 years ago, thinking about it nearly. Yeah. Like, you know, good grief. Like, you know, like, uh, sometimes I, you know, I look back, sometimes I, you know, I think about Michael Jackson, and then, you know, after that, I still kind of remember that he's died. Like, you know, yeah, like, he, he kind of sometimes, like, sometimes it feels like he never went away sometimes. And then mm-hmm. you have to be reminded that, oh, yeah, he, he died in pretty tragic circumstances, pretty much. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So, I mean, but it does, it, it does make you wonder, like, you know, what would he have, you know, if he was still around today, like, you know, what, 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 would, what would basically be going on? I mean, obviously, there was more allegations that came out after that. I mean, like, whether he would have been in front of those after that, I don't know. Yeah, like, especially just... um, the documentary that came out, I think, last year of that teenager who, you know, sued Michael Jackson for sexual, um, you know, sexual misconduct. Yeah. You know, they did a whole documentary just based off of that alone. But here's the thing about this. Like, you know, you don't know what to believe. What You don't know what to... With this, you don't know what to believe or what not to believe in all of this. Yeah, like, but, you know, but the point is, is that, story. I mean... It is a confusing story, yes, and especially since nobody else stepped up and said anything else. So only that one person, and we don't even know if it's true or not. But still, regardless, the media, they took it to heart. I mean, you remember when that Simpsons episode that featured Michael Jackson was removed from Disney Plus? Yeah, exactly. And uh, is it back on there? Is it back on now? I don't know if it is. I don't not. know. I haven't checked in a while. I mean, like, it, it wasn't actually. Also, um, they didn't actually confirm it was Michael Jackson airing, you know, uh, voicing his own character until long afterwards as well yeah. like uh, so i mean like uh, they didn't even announce that it was actually him until he actually passed away i don't think if i yeah. recall I-, I think that he was under a pseudonym or something yeah john j smith 
Yeah, John J. Smith, yeah. Yeah, I was pursuing him for when he voiced things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, um, that's some Lost Sega uh, stuff for you. And if any more comes out of flea markets, we'll let you know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, expect an episode of Digino Gaming where they'll probably talk all about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there was a question that was posted recently in an article, and it currently concerns the Steam Deck. Now, for those of you who do not know what the Steam Deck is, it's effectively uh, a Steam console that basically affects in your hand. And, um, you know, it has actually taken off uh, quite a bit. I know some people who do actually own Steam Decks. So, I mean, it is, um, you know, a thing that is currently taking off at the minute. Some of the earlier generations of the Steam Deck, not so much. But some of the later versions of the Steam Deck, yes, definitely. You know, and, uh, but there's uh, recently Eurogamer, again, uh, said, you know, can Steam Deck uh, handle the range of PCs most challenging games? So we're talking about, you know, A Plague Tale, Requiem, Gotham Knights, The Witcher 3, Next Gen, and even more have tested. So they, I think, went around and actually tested uh, some of these games. So um, let me have a look at uh, the list of ones that were on there. So I believe um, A Plague's Tale Requiem, I think, was one that they tested. I'm actually seeing one here. Um, that actually, you know, you know, this is the reason I like top tens because at least you know when you get these articles, they at least list all the uh, you know in bullet points like everything that they you know that's contained within the list. This just seems to be like a big long-winded article that I can see. So I'll uh, look like they've actually done Gotham Knights on in this section. So I'll just talk about this one. So they said uh, Eurogame according to this said Gotham Knights has an even bigger CPU issues. Dialing back uh, g- graphic options, the the game still fails to fall short of fill fall short of 30 frames per second in the open world with a fluctuating uh, frame times with constant in- uh, intrusive stutter. The Dex performance uh, panel reveals that we have succeeded in clawing back a ton of headroom on the GPU. It's just sipping power, uh, usually uh, pulling two watts uh, for or so uh, the speed of uh, 800 megahertz or below this opens up the tdp uh, for the cpu which uh, t- tellingly is uh, running at or just uh, under maximum of a uh, 3.5 gigahertz clock rate there uh, for those of you who d- uh, don't know all that technical to understand what all that means it basically means that maybe gotham knight maybe a steam deck is probably not the best machine to run gotham knights on maybe so mm. Yeah, but yeah. Here's, the th- here's the thing about this. Like, this is a handheld machine, and like, I don't know like all the ins and outs of all the specifics on the Steam Deck, but I could probably imagine, in regards to like you know high end gaming, I don't think the Steam Deck's really there for that. If anything, it's kind of like what the Game Boy was there for when you ha- had a Nintendo console, pretty much. At least in my opinion, anyway. So, um, what I mean by that is, is that if you needed to like leave the house for whatever reason, and you wanted a game on the go, you know, if you didn't have your gaming PC there, at least you have the Steam Deck. Right. You know? And I heard that the Steam Deck not, was much more successful than the other console that Steam tried to do, where it was basically trying to have a comp, uh, a, a possibility for a console to play all of the games that you had bought oh, yeah, the on Steam the Steam consoles. Yeah, yeah, I, the Steam I, console. Yeah, yeah, I remember those, and uh, they also had like those you know, Steam controllers as well, which you know were quite awkward. You know, uh, from yeah, the, the really smooth D pad with the awkward buttons. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that didn't really, you know, the the. That didn't really take off all that well. But, you know, like, it seems like people are giving the Steam Deck a chance. And, uh, you know, by all means, like, you know, it has, uh, I mean, uh, from what I understand, it has AMD technology in it. So, you know, AMD is really good right now. So Yeah, I mean, that's good to hear, especially since there's been a lot of attempts of you can be able to purchase online games as a console and play it, like the Ouya and the Stadia, which haven't turned out very well. 
Anyway, he's looking at uh, I found the Plague's Tale Requiem. They said that uh, this is not a best uh, candidate for the Steam Deck. Well, duh. Uh, they have <laughs> achieved good results by running uh, titles uh, designed for 60 frames per second at half the frame rate. So, effectively, you're running these types of games at half the frame rate if you ever play them, which, you know, is like, well, um, yeah, of course you would be, you know, if you say it's a handheld console. Like, if you're only. A, yeah, it's a handheld I, I, console. I think somewhere down the line, I think, you know, there will be a day where games will be able to do, like, you know, the, the high end stuff, like, in your hands, but we're just not there yet. In regards to that, and even then, you know, like uh, I can probably imagine it, you know, uh, it being pretty bulky in itself. Also, some of these, uh, these, you know, the thing I look at the Steam Deck sometimes kind of reminds me of the Game Gear a little bit. Remember the Game Gear? Hmm. Like, you of know, of course I remember the Game how, Gear. How, how big it was, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and just like it's, you look at it, it's like okay, it has a color screen and everything like that, but look at the size of that thing. Like, yeah, you know, it's like it's like a giant brick. Yeah, it is. It's a brick, <laughs> and uh, you know, like I can't believe they actually made accessories for it as well to make it even bigger. Yep. Yeah, like, you know, imagine carrying that to school with you all, all the time. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be able to put it in your pocket. You'll have to have a bag just dedicated to it. But that's what made the Game Boy so good, because, like, you could just put it in your pocket. Or you can just, like, even if it, even the big, you know, uh, the grey, you know, uh, thing wasn't even all that bad. Even, you could, like, put it, like, on a strap on your belt yeah. and, like, you know, carry it up on there, you know? Yeah, and, and also not to mention that it didn't drain as much batteries... Um, you know, compared to like the Game Boy, in which like it didn't use a lot of batteries at all because it was using older technology. Well, well as... I mean, the the earlier Game Boy models did take a lot of batteries at the time. Like you know, you uh, you had to bring spare batteries with you. You know, like and you yeah, sure about, like, you did, you, but you, n- nothing compared to like uh, the Game Gear, in which because it had color and because it was trying to deal with like new processing power, it drained it much faster. It did, yeah, but uh, um, with the Game Boy, even then, you still needed a lot. Of batteries to kind of like keep that thing going. It wasn't until probably like the Game Boy Color where they kind of like corrected the power issues. I would say. Yeah, with the Game Boy. Uh, yeah, the Game Boy Color, and then eventually you had the Game Boy Advance, in which you only use two batteries instead of four. Or even that, like you know, the game. You had the Game Boy Advance SP, and then that was just like you know, you put the power cable in and you charge the internal battery. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, so. um, yeah. I mean, that's where we went from. We went from four to two, and then just battery charging. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not. I'm not saying to everybody that you know you should uh, abandon your Steam Deck and go buy a Game Gear or go buy a uh, <laughs> go buy a Game Boy again or anything like that. Like, you know, that I, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, you know, it's uh, you know, like if you ever want to go retro, you know, like uh, you know, uh, there's times I look at my. I've, st- I've still got my Game Boy Advance SP, and I've still got some of my Game Boy games. You know, and so uh, yeah. there's times where I feel like I want to t- take a trip down memory lane. You know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So like, uh, you know what? Uh, I still got my Nintendo. I still got my Nintendo DS, but I need to replace the battery in it. I think. I think the battery's kind of okay. like, gone in it, but uh, you know. So uh, the one, the one console I feel like, you know, I feel like I missed out on was the 3DS. Like, uh, you know, I, I've I, never played uh, the DS or the 3DS. Yeah, sadly. like, but so some of the games are still expensive for it when you when you uh, even though it's uh, it's ridiculous. I'm even still to this day getting a Game Boy game for maybe like twenty thirty dollars seems feasible, but you have a DS and a 3DS game which still cost about like forty fifty sixty bucks. It's like you're ridiculous. It's it's going to be a couple of years until these things come down in price. Like it's, uh, I, I mean, the 3DS is like almost a decade old, and the DS is like 15 years yeah, old. Yeah, but infl- still in, inflation doesn't help. Like you know, that, that's what that's what's pushing everything up at the minute. Things things won't have a chance to get cheap yet until the economy gets better. 
I don't. I guess that's true. And also, usually when it comes to like obscure games, like really obscure games, there used to be a time in which like if you're able to find it at the right price and at the right place, you can buy something like relatively cheap. But if somebody online is talking about the game, saying how amazing it is, then usually those prices skyrocket as well. You're you're either emulating that stuff or you're waiting for it to come out on a virtual console. That's eventually what right. you're doing. Yeah, like, you know, mm-hmm. look at, uh, I mean, look at Chrono Trigger, for example. Like, you know, like, I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons why people start buying, you know, uh, the SNES Classic, pretty much. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, hey, look, I can easily play Chrono Trigger on this thing. Oh, that's the reason why, you know, uh, it ended up getting released on Steam. Because, like, you know, that's another place you can go play Chrono Trigger as well. I mean, it's not the, you know, authentic experience, but at least you can play it. Right. Know? So... Um, but yeah, like, but in regards to the Steam Deck, I mean, like, the, uh, it is ambitious, and, I mean, it will play, like, all your other Steam games from, like, back in the day, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you can play Half-Life 2 with no issue whatsoever, but, I mean, like, uh, but in regards to, like, all the newer, like, more advanced games, I mean, like, you know, don't expect, you know, an out-of-the-box, you know, um, experience of, like, playing 60 frames per second. I don't think we're there mm-hmm. yet, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. And finally, remember all those uh, stories we were talking about in the first episode of the show about WWE uh, potentially being sold, and we went through all the suitors about who potentially could be buying the company? Well, yep. there was a story that came out that the, the deal may have already been done, and that apparently uh, the Saudi Arabian Investment Fund, that's like the public investment fund that uh, you know, is used to like, buy all sorts of things for on behalf of the Saudi royal family, apparently they had already struck a deal, and that uh, WWE was in the um, latter stages of, fi- of uh, fi- finalizing the deal. Um, apparently, this made everyone in the WWE offices laugh. So, um, <laughs> clearly, yeah. this was not true. So, um, yeah, by the way, uh, uh, well, from this story, um, I don't know if you realize, know this, so Stephanie McMahon, who is the daughter of uh, Vince McMahon, who recently returned to the company, she has now resigned. Oh, really? Wow. She left a pretty interesting statement to... I'm pretty sure she wrote that to not scare the investors away, uh, I think. So uh, that, that was quite, you know, hilarious to to read. But, uh, I mean, in regards to, the, you know, the, the business fluff that she did, you know, on her debauchery, but, uh, um, you know, Vince McMahon's basically put his own people in, from what I can gather. But uh, uh, apparently, you know, right now, even though the, the Saudi Arabia rumor is not true... Uh, at this point, uh, it doesn't mean that WWE will not be sold somewhere in in the future. Apparently, the the idea that it's going to be in someone else's hands within the next three six months is still on the cards, according to this. Mm. So, um, Triple H has been going around um, the boys uh, in the back uh, and the girls, and has basically been stating to them that uh, apparently he is still creatively in charge. So he's trying to like you know keep fight that fire at the minute. But uh, some are a bit skeptical at the minute. They're wondering if how long it's going to be until. Uh, Mr. McMahon basically comes back on television. Some people are even saying it's going to be as soon as WrestleMania. but Or as soon as Royal Rumble, even. That was the, this weekend. So, uh, yeah. But uh, we'll see. But at the moment, uh, we can definitely say that the Saudi Arabia rumor is completely false. And uh, there is no truth to it. According to, the, to okay, those. So, yeah. Right. Well, I think that's about it. So, yep, that's about it. Cool. And we hope that you enjoy our long discussion of the Owl House if you tune into part one. If not, then I hope that you enjoyed our discussion of part two. Yeah. By the way, if you've not listened to part one yet because you want to get away from spoilers, go watch the Owl House, for goodness sake. And then <laughs> go back to listen to part one because, you know, it'd be really fun to have you be part of our discussion. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
All right, have a good week, everybody, and we will see you next week for Aaron and Patricia. Take care, and bye-bye for now. See you later.